Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Appreciate what I know in him, what I feel. It's good to be in his house. So um, let's pray. And I never want to come in here and think I can do this on my own because I can't. So let's let's ask God to touch us, touch our Sunday school, the ministries, and for his will and his purpose and his way to be done. Father, we love you today. And God, we're asking right now from the very beginning that your will would be accomplished, Lord God, that you would touch us, you would touch our mind, that you would anoint us, Lord God, as we look into your holy word, God. Have your way. Touch our Sunday school, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your kindness that you give us, Lord God. God, I thank you that your word is anointed, so I pray, touch our minds, Lord God. I pray, gather us, Lord God. Gather our thoughts, Lord Jesus. Let us dwell in this word, Lord God, for I know that it is the word of life, God can strengthen us, Lord God, sustain us, give us what we need, and direct and guide our steps, Lord. We need you, God, and grant this, I pray, as we praise and magnify your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this day. Amen. And before you're seated, let's just read. Uh, there's three verses. Um, this month is the power to be a witness and spiritual direction is what we'll be looking at today. It's in Acts 13, and the scripture we'll be reading is Acts 13, 1 through 3. So if you will, just turn or follow, follow on the screen. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, which has been brought up with Herod to teach heart and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You may be seated. Now, Antioch, was literally in the Bible, in the book of Acts, the first Gentile church that is spoken of. So that's what it's saying. We have these men here, some of these men that are named. This is the only time they're named. It's just speaking of those men that's there. So they're there in verse 2 said, as they ministered to the, the Lord, the Holy Ghost said, God spoke 
And he says, I want you to take from Antioch and separate me Barnabas and Saul. I want them separated. So they did. And But what I want you to notice is verse 3. Now, there's no question in these men's mind that God had spoke. But I want you to look at their devotion as a, as a direct result when God spoke. In other words, look at it like this. If we're having a service and God comes in here and speaks and makes a direct quote, how are we going to take it? These men at Antioch, Holy Ghost-filled men, God said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, but look at their intention, what they did. Verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed, man, they didn't just say, okay, God, you spoke, end of story. They said, no, God, you're not going to do this alone. We will separate ourselves. We want the Holy Ghost will to be done, yes. You've got your will established. We want our will to be done. So we want our flesh to be in tune with what the Holy Ghost says. They didn't just say, God, it's all on you. Thank you for your word. See ya. No, sir. They said, we will fast and pray ourselves. So when we send Barnabas and Saul away, they will be as in, in the will that you have called them to do. They didn't just say, okay, God, we got it, see ya. No, they took, and I think that was very commendable of them, not just to say, okay, God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've got. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, and it's over. No, they took and fasted and prayed. Is it an overkill? Absolutely not. You live in a body of flesh just like everybody else. So they said, no. I'm not going to take it like that. I'm going to get this body of flesh in the area where God is already at. And together, we will make sure that we send them off correctly. And that's exactly what they did. Now, what I want you to do, if you, you can either turn or just follow with me, I want to make a couple comment, uh, comments before we get started. The first thing I want to do is in spiritual direction, I want, I want to read... The very first words that God spoke in the church. Now, the first words we have recorded in Luke is where he went and fasted. Literally, he came out. The devil confronts him. He speaks to the devil, rebukes him, and it's over. Then he goes to the sanctuary. So in Luke 4, 4 and 16, and when he came to Nazareth, this is where the Lord was raised, Nazareth. So he comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up as it was his custom. And another thing, when you read in the Bible where it says he stood up to read, that's the way, and, and we see this manifest in the Bible. They stood up when they quoted scripture. When they took the scroll, the Bible says book, but when they took the scroll and read from it, they stood up. When they taught, they sat down. And we see this in scripture. So he goes to Nazareth, as it was his custom, where he was brought up. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him of the prophet Isaiah. From the, and he went and opened the book, found the place where it was written. Now, what he's fixing to quote is from Isaiah 61. So he goes all the way back, and he quotes, 
And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, 19 to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that is 61 2, but he only quotes the first part of it. And then. The Bible says, and he closed the book. Other words, he rolled the scroll back up, gave it to the minister, and sat down. And then all the eyes that was in the synagogue were fasting on him. And this, and he began to say unto them, This day, this day, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So the very first words our God said in a public setting was, I am the Messiah. You have heard of me for hundreds and hundreds of years. The prophet Isaiah said, there is a lamb that will be born. He is coming. Do not look any further. I'm here. I'm here. This is a mandate of what I have come to do. And he says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So he comes. He says this. And then their reaction is says, well, look at old Joseph's son go. That was their reaction. He's literally telling them, the Jewish people, this is what you've lived for. So that was his first words that he took and said literally in a public setting. Now, I want to show you, and this is something that we quote all the time. That was the first words that Jesus said in a public setting. Now, I'm going to take you to the last words that Jesus said on planet earth in the body of Jesus Christ. Do you know what it is? They're standing there looking at him. This is literally his last words before he leaves. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses both unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Literally his last words. His last words on planet earth. And he's saying. You're going to receive the power that it takes. To be a witness. This is his last words. He's saying that you're going to have. Now. When you look back. And believe it or not. This is a quote. From Isaiah 43. 10. And what is happening here is God is telling them in the Old Testament, he says, you know what? All the nations is saying, it's talking about me with all their idols. And then God is saying, you know what? I tell you what. You gather them. You gather together. And just sort of like Elijah, you just meet me on Mount Carmel, so to speak. And this, is, this was God's reaction. And then he said in Isaiah 43, 8, Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and bring forth the deaf that have ears. Other words, to the ones that have seen this, that have shut their eyes. The ones that have heard this and has closed their ears. Bring them. Bring them, God said. Let all the nations be gathered together and let all the people be assembled. Who among us can declare this and show the former things? Let them show forth, let them show forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, it is truth. Ye, God said, ye, ye are my witnesses, 
saith the Lord, and my servant that I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and there was no God formed either, neither shall there be after me. I even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. God was saying, you, you are my witnesses of what I've done. You have witnessed it. So God is saying right here, you shall be my witnesses. Now, I believe if we look at that as a command, we're looking at it wrong. If God is saying, you are my witnesses, we must look at that as an empowerment. God wasn't asking to be witnesses, asking us to be witnesses. He was saying, you are my witnesses. Not that we have a choice in the matter. We do not have a choice in the matter. You are my witnesses. I can't stand before God and say, you know what? I was so awkward. I was so shy. I was so backward. I, I just can't get in front of people. I can't do it. God has said, no, I gave you what you needed. When I filled you with a Holy Ghost, you had what you needed to be my witnesses. I gave you the power. I dwelt in you everything that you needed to be the witnesses. Now, and he says you was going to be in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, it says Jerusalem. This is the heartbeat of God. Jerusalem was the place. God said, this is where I want you to go. Jerusalem was the place where God was executed. Judea is the one that God, uh, th that had rejected God's message. Samaria, forgive me for this, but if you look at it from biblical terms, they viewed them nothing but a bunch of half-breeds. Now, the uttermost parts of the earth, look at us, the Gentiles. They registered us even less than the Samaritans. But God said, I want you to go to every branch of people on planet earth, and you shall be my witnesses. Do not leave no one out, no matter what they look like, no matter what color they are. Everyone is to be witness to. You are my witnesses. And we have this uh, command to do. You are my witnesses. And then I want to read one more, one more thing. If you, in second, um, second, somebody took it out of my Bible. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, I'm telling you, 3 through 6. Okay, now, this is the equivalent of what God said to Israel when he said, bring forth the blind that have eyes, bring forth the deaf that have ears. Okay, this is not a play on words. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. That's not a play on words. The gospel is revealed, but it is veiled unto them. But uh, Paul tells us why. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds which believe not. Somebody that don't want to believe, you can do all you want to do, and they'll never see it. If they do not want to believe in this gospel, turn yourself inside out, and you will be of no avail. But if they show one spark of interest, God will reveal himself unto them. I promise you, lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
And then he said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Christ's sakes. And this is a verse, or this, I hate to say it like this, but this is one of my favorite verses. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Paul went all the way back to Genesis 1-3, and just what, this is not, in Genesis 1-3, this light is not natural light. It's spiritual light. And we, we will never, ever have the ability to do this. For God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. So God is saying, you, take what knowledge you have of me and help bear it on an individual. And when they show a spark, then I can go inside of them and command that darkness to come out, shine from the inside out. I can do that because he commanded the light to shine out of the darkness and shine in our hearts. To This is why, to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have the knowledge, and this is why, in the face or in the person of Jesus Christ. Just like Isaiah told him in the Old Testament. There is one coming, and the first thing Jesus does, guess what? I'm it. I'm who you've been looking for. And Paul said, this is why we do this. It is to tell them to the light of this gospel in the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all in, wrapped up in God coming in this body on earth and in the crucifixion, everything in the body of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul said it was about. So we know this. We have seen this. So on the day of Pentecost, when they was there, when they had the message, the death, burial, and, and resurrection, there was 120 there, then it went to 3,000, we see. And that message would defy time. It, those that would be there, they would be there trying to stop it, but it would, come, it would overcome every barrier, every race, every culture, everything. It would overcome it, and it did. And it would go beyond the disciples' wildest dreams. They would never dream that just God said, don't you leave. There is a promise coming. Do not leave this house. Don't leave this room until you're filled with this promise. And they didn't. But Stephen had been martyred. Many had been scattered. And the enemy probably thought he was winning. But all that was happening is the church was getting bigger. That was all that was happening. So when the word spread of Peter's interaction with Cornelius, the Holy Ghost being... uh, um, being poured out on the Gentiles, the preaching of this gospel was literally starting to expand just like God wanted it to. And after scattering from Jerusalem, that's where we read of the men of Cyprus, Cyrene, found themselves in Antioch where they encountered the Grecians and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord, the Bible says in Acts 11. And when the church at Jerusalem heard of this outpouring, they were slightly skeptical, and this is where they sent Barnabas to check things out. So they took, and Barnabas witnessed of the grace of God and preached unto them, and then he moved on in search of Saul. So we find the two of them returned to Antioch and stayed there for a whole year and, and, taught, them, and taught with the church, and that's where the Bible says, and the disciples was first called Christians first at Antioch. Now, we know... What I looked up, I wanted to see why the Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. And this is what I found out. 
It's Latin, I-A-N. When you put I-A-N on the end of a word, it means a party of. And I, and I just, I won't put this out as Bible, I'll just put this out as a theory. That a lot of people believed, calling them Christians at Antioch, they had so much idolatry there, that a lot of people believed that it was to make fun of the Christians. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I read that a lot. So, but whether it was true or not, guess what? We're still here. So, but anytime you put I in, that really means a party of. So, Christians meant that was a party of. So, they was first called Christians. There was a man, a prophet from Jerusalem, received word of the Holy Spirit that there's brethren that dwelt in Judea that needed support. In Acts 13, they was praying and fasting. And that's where we read where the Bible says, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. They need help. In obedience to spiritual direction they received from the Holy Ghost, they were separated and sent out as evangelists, we know. Now, really and truly, all of us are evangelists. If God has put his spirit in us and called us, there is so much to do. There is just, you know, and it's not like... Um, where we pray and we look at missions and, and you know, I of all people, you know, I mean, I don't know if you could get me to go to Africa if you wanted to. But here again, I've always said, just reach those within your reach. I believe that's what God requires. It's just reach those within your reach. And it's just those that are just, just are soul sick. And our, our world is truly full of them. It's just people that just really, really is just sick and tired of running the pace. It is just, and, and we face it ourselves. You just get up, you have to go through the motion. Life demands it. I mean life demands it. If you think it don't, just sit home. Just sit home. At the end of the month, you'll find out. There is things that must be done. And so, so, when you see people, we know, we know to close the door and to just get help for the mind. But people that, that doesn't literally know to get help for the mind, to slow it down, say, God, I need strength. I need strength for my mind to touch people. And I, we see them. We see them every day. God gave spiritual vision accompanied by prayer. When you do pray, when you do pray, and you close the world out, that's when God gives us spiritual, spiritual vision. He can do that. Now, God, God can prepare us. He will prepare us through the circumstances of our life. And everyone, everyone, has different circumstances in their life. Everyone is different. Everyone is unique. And we just go through, thing, go through things that are different, and God knows literally everything that is what is unique in our life. Within each of us are unique giftings that gives us direction for our living and our lives within God's image. We are created in his image and his likeness, the Bible tells us. 
that we have to do. Be like Christ and be like yourself. And we have heard that a lot, you know, um, just be yourself. Well, that's okay as long as it's within biblical limits. You know, you can't just run wild with that. I understand that phrase. And, but, if you be like Christ, what I'm saying is when you be yourself, God made us. I can't be you. You can't be me. So I understand what, it's, what the writer is saying here. Be like Christ and be yourself. We should be that. We should not try to be no one else and try to be someone that I'm not. I should not try to come, on, come in here and put on a facade of, and try to be someone that I'm not. I should not try to come in here and, and try to put on a holier-than-thou attitude. That would be a hypocrite. I'm just mortal flesh and blood. That's why we say you must pray. You must repent. You must seek God every day. We have to do that. Direction requires preparation. It absolutely does. You can't just get in your car and say, where we're going? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? The next day, well, have you made up your mind? Where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. You've got to have preparation. That's why, you know, you just have a plan, and it's just not just, you know, we're not just coming to church for today. That's why... As when we was growing up, all of a sudden, you know, our lives is just like, we just think if we could just make it to 15. And then if I could make it to 18, I got this baby whipped. And then our parents kept telling us, you need a plan. For what? I don't need a plan. And, it's, and truly, when it comes to giving yourself to the Lord, this is not about just today. I'm telling you, when you look at this book, this life is but a vapor. And if I don't take it serious, it's over and done, and I'm in eternity somewhere. So I have got to have a plan and i got to prepare for that plan. So I can say I'm worried, I'm stressed, I can do all of that and spew all the garbage I want to. But this vapor is fading fast. And I have got to be serious about these few days that I have on this planet to prepare for it. So... Proverbs 11.30, tucked into discussion of righteousness, we find this jewel. He that winneth souls is wise. And we, that's the truth. I mean, we, we sometimes get frustrated and just say, let me tell you what, you need to do, you know, and that's just flesh. But we have to use wisdom, as the Bible says. And look at how much our Lord, if you want to put it this way, put up with. I mean, he clipped her wings, you know, and I've made the joke that he was in the temple and he's over there and what I'm doing is twisting a rope and they said, you know, you're like, what are you doing? He said, I'll be with you in a minute. And he's making a whip because he's fixing to run him out of the temple. And sometimes we wish we could do that. I'll be with you in a minute. As soon as I get this whip 
braided. I'll be with you. But we understand what was going on. And that's why I've said the person that irritates you the most and just drives you to the point of clenching your fist, you have to go look in the mirror and say, I'm dealing with a soul. I'm dealing with somebody that has a soul that's going to live forever somewhere. And I don't want his blood to be on my hands. So he took and wisdom said, we have to do this. We have to lead, let that lead to understanding, understanding, examine ourselves, prepare us. Peter wrote, for we have not followed cunning, devised fables when we made known in you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, but we were eyewitness, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Paul in his writings to the Romans said that we must mind, think on, pray attention to the things of the spirit more than of the flesh. And that's the truth. We must love the Father, not the world, nor the things of the world. Our witness must stand first, stand firm, even in the face of outside examination. And here, even in the outside of examination. Literally, it's like this. That is why we're taught Pastors has taught us for years, you must pray, you must keep this body under subjection every day because here's the point. The enemy cannot tempt you with something that you do not have an appetite for. If you take and let up, we live in a world that is so full of sin and just pardon me here for being plain. Men ain't never had no shame. Women do not anymore. They don't care if you're married. That's just a challenge. And if you let up, they just use you and go to the next one. And if that's plain, just forgive me. We live in that world. It's everywhere. So that's why Paul told us, you better keep that body under Every day. Because Satan will only tempt you with that which you have an appetite for. That is why Paul said, you pray. You keep that body under. Because if he's tempting you with something that you're not hungry for, you're not bothering me, buddy. I'm okay. You can just flag them on. I'm done. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I'm full of the Spirit. My flesh has no cravings. I'm done. So once we are spiritually prepared to be an empowered witness, God begins to give us spiritual directions to seek those that are looking, seek those that are seeking Him. Two outstanding examples is given, spiritual direction in the book of Acts. At the beginning of last week's lessons, we, looked about, we learned about Cornelius and Peter, where they took, Cornelius prayed, God answered, he sent him to find Peter. And then while they was knocking at the door downstairs, Peter was on the rooftop praying. And this changed the gospel forever. Here's one doing something, and here's the other one doing another thing. And here's God right there together, working both, everything together. And here's another one. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south. And here's what's always in, intrigued me. On the, way that goeth, on the way that goeth down from Jer Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. 
Man, God always makes a way. So he goes to the eunuch and he's preaching and they're in the desert and he says, Hey, here's some water <laughs> in the desert. Wow, who'd have thought? <laughs> I'll baptize you right here in this water in the desert. <laughs> I'm telling you, when God sends you, if you're in a desert and somebody wants to be baptized, start looking for water. Because when God sends you, he'll make a way. They're traveling through the desert. And, 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 and you know, the eunuch says, you know, I'd really like to be de- uh, baptized. And, buddy, we're in, a de- <laughs> we're in a desert. Well, look at that. <laughs> well, look at there. There is some water. I'm telling you, don't doubt God. He sent Philip. The eunuch was hungry. I'm telling you, when somebody's hungry, God's going to feel that. The eunuch is not going to say, I want to be baptized. And then Philip was going to say, you know, buddy, we're in a desert. It's over. It's over. No, 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 no. That ain't going to happen. They came to water. He baptized him. Life is often filled with random, what we think is random circumstances. But it is not. It is not. It is not. To the Christian, there is no such thing as fate. No, no, no. Don't let that cross your lips. Don't let that cross your lips. Vesta Magum, 91 years old, for decades she been a compelling witness in her hometown of Alexandria, Louisiana. She's told many times of driving up down the street, literally stop, knock on a door, which is brave. And she, one time she tells this story, and I'll just quote part of it. She felt compelled to the Holy Ghost. For some reason, she just went by. God really impressed on her. She turned around, come back. She goes back up, knocks on the door. Lady comes and just sort of not, I guess with a little bit agitated voice, said, may I help you? And so she told him who she was and just said the Lord had impressed on her to stop. And what had happened was, um, in a nutshell, the lady had um, started her suicide pack. She had made a list and was literally going down the list to take her life. And she just told uh, Sister Mangum how her life had just unraveled, just seemingly without none of her making. It just, and God touched her now. Sometimes we think our, our situations is not that dramatic. But let me tell you, it is. You're dealing with a soul. If you go up to a, a guy that's got a $5,000 suit on and his world is fine and he accepts God, to that lady that was fixing to take her life, don't you distinguish them. Do not distinguish them. You got a soul, and you got a soul. We're wrong if we distinguish them. We are emotional creatures. We tend to put more value to this one than this one. No, sir. They're both valuable. Anyone is valuable that accepts God. They have both done a service 
unto the Lord. So that's why spiritual direction, wherever God leads us and directs us and guides us, to whomever it may be, to whomever it may be. Now, we know that God can do this. If you, you and I are charged literally for carrying out this great commission, God charged us, so to speak, to do this. Jesus Christ, our example, he was, he was, in fact, our ultimate witness. In the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements identifying Jesus Christ. Each of these represent important needs of humanity and seem to transcend, transcend time. One, the bread of life, the light of the world. He is the door. He is the, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the true vine. What I've always loved, what I truly love, is God said he was the bread of life. And what I love about that, there's so many people chasing so many things, trying to satisfy. And God on planet Earth is the only thing we can consume that will satisfy. Every other thing, everything we buy, the day you buy it, I have joked and said, go home and take a picture of it. Because from that day forward, it starts to look old. Everything, everything. But God is the only thing that we can possess that he will give us, satisfy us, nourish us, and we can feel fulfilled, satisfied. He is the only one. He empowers us as witnesses of the gospel and, and first and foremost to people that need this. We asked ourselves, what is my witness? What is our storytelling? Paul, any Paul to the Corinthians said this, explained to them that they were epistles and their lives was known and read of all men. Now, what you are can destroy anything you say. And what you are can attract people to Jesus without uttering a word. In other words, it's like, we're human. Sometimes we get in the flesh when we shouldn't have. And at them times, it's sort of like when you slip and fall and you get up, you know. <laughs> I hope nobody's seen that. <laughs> and you call yourself spiritual and then you get in the flesh and, man, I hope nobody was seeing but if you're just Christ-like and you, I'm not saying don't say nothing. I'm just saying that if you are as holy as you can be and then you do something you shouldn't, that can be devastating too. Now, we can be just like Peter and Philip, sowers of love even in the presence of hatred. Psalms 37, 23, 
which our pastor quotes a lot, says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, that good man, when you look that up, it means warrior. The steps of a warrior, the steps of a warrior are ordered by the Lord. Now, it's got a story here, and I'll try to be real quick, um, but I want to I want to take it um, in with this. As a boy growing up in Portland, Oregon in the 1930s, Jim Elliott listened carefully as visiting missionaries told about life on faraway mission fields. In 1952, Jim was around 25 years of age when he and his missionary partner, Pete Fleming, boarded a ship in California and it would take them to Ecuador, South America. The two, young, the two young men spent a year learning Spanish, and then they moved to a small Indian village to replace the retiring uh, missionary. They continued studying the language and the people, striving to fit in to be able to share the gospel. There was a, a group of Arcaeo Indians located nearby. They had killed many from other local tribes, and they had killed several oil company workers whose drilling site was nearby the territory. Nate Saint was a missionary supply pilot who worked with Jim, and they came up with an idea that might gain access to the tribe without it being life-threatening. But what if they could su provide supplies to them and then gradually over time make headway to becoming friendly? So Nate would fly over their village and lower a bucket filled with supplies. Finally, after several months, the Indians sent back a bucket to the plane. The missionaries felt that it was drawing near for a face-to-face -face encounter. It was painstaking work, and, and they was realistic enough to know that they was literally endangering their lives for the sake of the gospel. The missionaries were flown one by one and dropped off on a beach. They built a treehouse that provided shelter, and they awaited the process of their plans to reach those people. After four days, a man and two women appeared on the beach. They shared a meal, and they asked the three to bring more people the next time. Two days later, two women walked out of the jungle, but that day, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, and two more men went from the excitement of the mission field to a martyr's death at the group of the warriors. Spears raised and ready to throw, they came running out of the jungle, and the missionaries had no defense. It is not and is not the end of the story. Since that fateful day on the beach in 1956, many Archaeas have heard the word, the witness of other missionaries, and become followers of Christ. From that period of time, Jim Elliott's widow, as well as members of Nate Saint's family, lived among the Archaeas, teaching them about Jesus. Now, but one thing I wanted to point out in the end is Jim Elliott's journal contained an entry, a prayer of sorts that said, this, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ 
in need. I just don't want to be a milepost. Let them see enough Christ in me that they would either one way or the other have to choose the Lord. We are called and God gives us spiritual direction. We are called to be witnesses to the Lord. He's given us strength. He's done it. His word is true. And just, he loves us. One last thing that I just want to leave you is food for thought. God's word is true. It's all about perspective. God told Adam, he said, the day you transgress this law, you'll die. The day you do it. But the apostle told us in his writings, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So, it's all dependent how you look at it. To us, in mercy and looking through time, Adam lived 950 years. But to God, he died that day. It all depends on how you look at it. God don't see time. We do. God is true. So no matter what things look like, keep witnessing. Keep going. Keep doing. Because God's word is true. And it won't be denied. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.